and welcome to another episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis here on lockdown uh, during the great uh, COVID-19 crisis. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'm I'm here uh, at a safe social distance from my co-host. Chris Bell. Hello, hello. And uh, we are here alone in the library. We've locked <laughs> ourselves in the teen room and uh, the rest of the librarian and, and staff are you know, out sorting books and uh, shelf reading and getting everything in order for uh, when the day comes that we can reopen to the public. Yes, because we currently have no patrons. Not a one. Uh, though they are still dropping off books and games, trying to shove them into our Dropbox and not damage them. It's all very <laughs> exciting. Uh, so, I, the, of course, the big news for us personally, beyond, hey, we're not serving patrons, is that uh, ShushCon was canceled, which is our biggest negative effect that we had done all this prep for the convention and that uh, we had crafted a bunch of things to give away at the uh, at the door when folks came in. And, you know, we were all ready. This is probably our biggest prep. We had the most sign-ups and pre-registrations that we'd ever had. And, of course, then we had to cancel the show. That, right. that, that's what happens when we get ready. Yeah. I mean, we had the most sign-ups a month before the con. Um, so it was looking to be our biggest one yet, and uh, well, that's a bit disappointing. It is. It is a bit disappointing. Uh, that said, uh, we're not going to put this, you know, let this time go to waste. We're going to use it, some of it, by talking to our wonderful, wonderful listeners, like yourself, <laughs> and some of it by uh, doing things here in the room or even at home. We uh, had Chris work at home one day last week. Uh, just because he could. And Chris, what did you do at home? Uh, the biggest thing I did was catalog our games. Right. A lot more of them, at least. And so by catalog, we are, instead of sending all of our stuff off to our cataloging department, uh, by which I, I mean our one cataloger, <laughs> yes. uh, and, and then having them ship the games back to us, we're entering all the stuff into a Google document, and then she will take it and put it into a real you know, uh, record. And then it will be put in into our system. And so that way we'll have games that we can circulate in addition to the games that we already have. If you check out the pictures as part of this episode that are in the, the episode entry, you'll be able to see a picture of some of the games that are not currently checked out that are available for our patrons to circ- you know to take home with them if they were allowed in the doors to check them out. <laughs> yes. Once they come back, they can check them out again. Right. Uh, and so we have... Started. We started actually before we shut down and the library was closed. Is that uh, once a game was turned back in, we didn't even go through it for a day or so, just in case it was you know contagious. <laughs> um, and we'll probably keep that in force at least for a while. Is that hey, a game comes in, we'll sort of look at it uh, from a distance and make sure it hasn't been destroyed. It, let it sit before we put it back on the shelves for people to circulate. I guess that's something we can't necessarily do with books, and, and we don't have a great big reserve area, but we do have enough room that we can hold games back, you know, spray them maybe with disinfectant or whatever. Uh, that we haven't decided yet. Yeah, it's a lot of changes with this COVID-19 uh, situation. Right. Trying to cope. So we would love if you stop over by our Facebook guild uh, over, I guess you can either hit the Schools and Libraries, Games and Schools and Libraries Guild or the Inverse Genius Guild and tell us what you all might be doing to uh, you know, protect yourself or, or doing to pass the time as it relates to games in schools or libraries. 
Uh, what else have we been doing? Uh, we, I guess we're catching up on some cleaning and some crafting projects. Playing uh, some games, of course. Oh, yeah, that's right. So with the whole setting up with, for the convention, we had publishers donate games to us to either demo and show off to people at the convention or to uh, set up for people to learn and play at the con themselves. And, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been learning and playing some of those, which we'll review for you. And also there are some that we hadn't gotten to yet when everything shut down. And so we'll be reviewing those over the next few episodes so that you get a chance to hear what some of these most generous game publishers have sent us. Absolutely. And quite a few of them sent us some uh, brand new off-the-shelf games. So some exciting games to look forward to. Right, right, right. And some uh, we got some remakes of some ones we've talked about before as well. So there's all kinds of stuff that we'll chat about. Um but I guess that's the big deal is uh, let us know how you catalog or deal with your games, where you pull your information from, and also what you're doing um, over this time. So should we go ahead and get to games and, and start reviewing them? Absolutely. All right. Do you want to lead off with one? All right. So uh, one of the more recent games we've played called Horizons. Horizons, yo. Yeah. Very space science fiction-y game where you are, uh, there are a bunch of different solar systems that are growing right that's right it's based uh depending on the number of players is the number of solar systems you have that grow over the course of the game yep 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 and so on your turn you've got a a menu of items that you can select from which might be anything from hey pulling out more planets that you can explore uh putting your things on planets spending your resources gathering resources picking up new uh alien assistants who can help you do things and utilize their special powers. And it, if you have any assistants who also have the special power for the action that you chose, then you get to do their special action as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a pretty neat game. It's one that I would be willing to play again. Should anybody ask for it? Um, and it sort of was the, you know, explore, um, build up your resources, kind of get your engine running. And then you each had specific quests that you could do to get your bonus points. All right. And one of the really neat things that, about the game, uh, we only did kind of the, I guess you call it the basic player's version. Um, oh, so we're going to have to review it again when we've done the full version. Absolutely. Uh, all of our characters had all of the abilities. Everything was the same. Um, however, every character sheet can also have a alien race that has... Uh, yeah, if you flip it over on the other side. Yeah, a special attributes, such as uh, one of the ones I saw was... a. Uh, one of the creatures, they're flame creatures. Uh, they can't settle on planets. They can build factories there, but they can settle on suns. Ooh. Everyone else can't. So they get little special um, powers to them, but they also have things they can't do. So it's a neat little twist that uh, every character has to deal with. Right. It did sort of feel like it was an inheritor of the old Cosmic Encounter style of game where you all have your own special powers and you're going to go out and and land and put your colonies or your factories on different places. Only sort of a cross between that and a more traditional 4X-style game. Absolutely. It definitely reminded me of a 4X-style game, uh, but changed so that it worked pretty good for a board game. I mean, it was... It was well designed. So we've hit the slang part of the show. 4X is a traditional style of game. And what do the X's stand for? Um, oh boy. Explore, um, exploit, exterminate, and expand. That's right. Not generally all in that order. 
harkens back to like the advanced civilization game day uh, where, you know, we'd spend seven hours, well, five or six hours playing a game, a couple of hours yelling at each other um, <laughs> as we would invade each other's territories, build up cities, that kind of stuff. So Yeah, I believe it actually originated in video games, that term. Um, so it's kind of early days of video games is where that came about. Um, it, well, I don't know where it was actually popularized, but there's nothing that video games ever did that didn't actually come from another form of game first, so... Yeah, but I think the phrase came from video games. Quite possible. Quite possible. Um, so, there, there you have it. That's, that's a neat game. It's Horizon. It's from, what, Daily Magic Games, I think? That's right, Daily Magic. And uh, they sent us some other stuff that we will also be talking about, uh, but uh, this one... You know, it's kind of complex, and there are a lot of pieces, so we're going to have to decide, hey, is this one that's going to go in our circulating con- collection or one that we just say, you know, this is too much that we will just keep it here for game days. There are some that, well, that we will hold back until the rest of the collection is cataloged to decide, yes, are we circulating these or are we not? And most of them we probably will eventually put out for people to circulate uh, and take home and, and play, but... We just really don't want to have to count 300 tiles every time someone turns it in. And our library director, when he saw, oh, Caverna has 3,000 pieces or whatever it has, 300 pieces. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to waste your time counting those. And you realize, well, most of the pieces, each piece individually is not essential to the game. Uh, and if you have the right kind of box insert, they sort themselves. Absolutely. Box inserts are what are saving us right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk uh, Silver Coin from Bezier Games. Uh, Bezier Games are the folks who make all the One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Werewords and some of our favorite social deduction games. I think they also did um, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig and, and those things like that. So yes. uh, Bezier Games, a lot of, lot of cool games. This one is a card game that plays almost in a traditional style of, hey, you each have your cards in front of you. In this case... Well, uh, Chris, you explained it to me before, so give it a go here. Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So everyone has a town of cards. I believe you start with five that can grow or shrink, depending on the game. Um, And it plays up to four players. Mm. Um, The problem is all your townspeople are face down, and you don't even know who they are. Right. Um, So you've got to work using special powers of, like, discarding cards um, or pulling top decking cards and seeing what power it gives you for that moment in situations like that to uh, kind of either get all your cards face up or try to learn what you have because your goal is to have the lowest value cards in your town um, because the less influential your people are, the less likely they are to attract werewolves. Yeah, uh, so basically you win if at the end of the game... Uh, you have the fewest points. And so you're trying to golf score this thing out. Absolutely. But as any good game like this does, the weaker the character, the weaker the power. So it's kind of a balancing act as you try to sort your deck. Right. And so you are, you know, having to do blind exchanges of if you're taking a card off the top of the deck and putting it into your village, then you don't see which card you're discarding. So if you don't already know it, you could be giving up a card you'll want to... Uh, you know, flip over using the power of another card and use, or putting it out there for someone else to grab because, hey, that's a cool card. Yeah, all sorts of things, and there's a lot of interplay there. There's also this coin 
where if you won the previous round by a certain amount, you have the coin there that you can utilize the power. What's the power of the coin, Chris? Uh, the coin lets you flip one of your characters uh, face up for free, just once per round. And really, that's what you want to do. Before you call the vote, you want to know how good your hand is. It's an interesting game. Uh, there is a lot of player interaction with it as well, kind of. Um, it, there's a little bit of social deduction in there, um, but they definitely put a uh, kind of a structure to it, unlike the WearWords games or the One right. Nights. There is a deduction aspect. Yes. There is not a social deduction aspect. Okay, yeah, so it's much. not really social. That's um, true. Any more than a, a game of poker is social, which I guess it is, sort of. Uh, so you are trying to determine, hey, do, is this guy acting like he has a good hand or does she, uh, you know, pretending that she's got a, a horrible hand when she's got a great hand, whatever, that kind of deduction you've got. But um, by and large, it, it's a horrible two-player game, I think. It says two to four players, and I would say don't, don't play it with two players. That's correct. I thought it worked well with four, and I don't know if it plays only to four or five. but uh, Four is the limit. But I would certainly recommend that you play it with three or four up front and, and it's a pretty fun game it's not i don't think it will replace some of the other games but i don't think werewolf for one night plays well with four players at all so this is sort of that great hey you can play it with fewer folks and still get a deduction sort of feel absolutely it kind of hits that sweet spot that a lot of their games uh number counts don't with well a lot of those themed games don't right so that's it that's silver coin uh from bezier <laughs> games uh we are we also played this game called Dome Crushers. Yes. And um, it was weird because I opened the box and it has like oversized animal cards that uh, you're going to be having them do battle. And as you play them, it's going to be over multiple rounds until I think until somebody can't doesn't have four cards left, I believe. Right. I think you're running till there's no cards left until. Yep. And but the weird thing is the box has a smaller set of cards in it. Now I don't know if that's true with all of them. Um, I have checked. That is true of the premium version, uh, the ultimate edition, I believe they called it. Mm. Um, the standard edition is uh, regular card sized, or you can get the jumbo sized, or you can get the super ultimate, super lovely edition, which we got, which has both. Which has both. All right. Well, I'm glad somebody's doing research for this show. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so on your turn, you're going to be playing one of the cards from your hand. And you'll either play it so that, hey, it's the, it's the creature, like giant turtle or bear or whatever, for its attack value. Or you're going to be playing it sideways for its special magical power, which is written sideways on the card. So that you're not trying to <laughs> yeah. uh, figure out what is, what's going on the wrong way. Um, uh, you yeah. both start with the decks of the same cards, but you will have different cards based on what you drew from your deck. That's right. Um, so it's kind of neat because uh, every uh, creature that you score points with um, gets set aside in your, hey, these guys scored. Um, every creature that um, you tried to score points with and failed, they get set aside as well, but they don't score. But everyone whose superpowers you used instead, you get to keep them. So They shuffle back into the deck. Yep. It's a balancing act because if you use all your strong guys up front... Um, the other player is going to have some easy rounds uh, coming up. So you really have to figure out how to spread your strongest guys as far as possible so they don't all get used up right at the beginning. The real trick is to get your opponent to overcommit. Absolutely. And, uh, and get their resources going in. And I think that, that that's sort of where the sweet spot of the game is. I found it to be a marginally interesting game, right? I think it's the kind of game that because there's a very small card count, however... 
super appropriate for the libraries. Oh, yeah. And that if you've got a game room or a teen program where it's like, hey, I'm playing this game with somebody, someone else can jump in, they'll play it, they'll pick it up, it'll be really quick. Kind of like the old Brave Rats game, which I think was from Blue Orange, where you're going to play this for a few minutes. It's a time killer while you're waiting for your other buddies to show up so you can all get on multiplayer for, like, if you're waiting for a Mario Kart thing or what have you, (laughs) that that you can get into it. Uh, Yeah, it's a great 10, 15 minute uh, or less, depending on how you play it, game uh, for just two players. Right. And I do find it, actually, for the amount, for as long as the game is, the, the decisions are a little more stressful than I... (laughs) <laughs> you know would would have given him credit for so but that's dome crushers uh i think it's super appropriate for you know a school or library environment where you're trying to you know especially if you've got a game design program it's got some really interesting decisions that are made but if you're looking to add games to your collection and you've got a wide variety of games and you don't need something in that two-player 10-minute slot then i i wouldn't necessarily recommend it it's, uh, yeah, it, it fills a very niche kind of slot in your game collection. Mm-hmm. So a long time ago, back before Chris was with us, well, before he was with the podcast, I mean, he was, okay, who cares? We played this <laughs> game called Amangaka, which is an art simulation game where you are competing to do cartoons. And as you're playing the game, you know, you get cards that, uh, that are going to be in your cartoon every time you draw it. And then there are themes sort of that everybody is going to have to add into it every time. And you have a very limited amount of time to draw it. And based on the elements that you get and you put in the game, um, the uh, you're going to get points. And by the way, I think the points point is the dumbest part of the whole game. <laughs> by which I mean, it still works for game-wise. But people start... Points are a motivator, but you don't need to care about them as the outcome, right? I think that... The, the cartoons are the real payoff on this. It is an excuse for you and friends to do timed, like, two to six panel cartoons against each other and see who you think came up with the really neatest cartoon. Right. And just have fun at it. You don't, yeah. you know, you don't even have to judge the other people's cartoons. In fact, I think there's room for, hey, everybody going around and saying, this is what, this is what I really like about your cartoon as opposed to, I got the best cartoon, neener, neener, neener. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing is you're having to do more and more panels for each round of this game. And if you do Inktober, by golly, Cartooner is one that you should either have for Inktober or for the month before Inktober, one that you, you have for your art, any of your art programs. Uh, and Mangaka is the uh, anime version of it that this is, for me, a green line all the way. It's, it's, I love what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. I also love what it accomplishes, which I'm not sure it actually accomplishes exactly what it's trying to do. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's so much because even if you were just trying to do, like one of the things we did with the uh, manga car cards once is for our Inktober thing is we pulled out cards from it and we use that as the daily prompts. Yeah. All right. And so you could use it as part of a daily ex- art exercise, even not using the game. All right. Though, being librarians and teachers, I know that you are surrounded by art prompts everywhere you go. Uh, For the game, it's nice to have sort of a whole box just for those things. You could also, actually, if you do role-playing games, you could use a lot of these things as role-playing game scenario prompts as well. So, very very versatile box. And I have crammed both sets into one box. So, um, something to point out, I think we kind of inferred this, but skipped over it. 
mangaka and cartooner uh they same are game. they are effectively the same game one is americanized um one is not um as far as we could tell glancing over the rules uh, it's pretty much the same exact thing uh they use slightly different prompts um and i think that is a cultural decision uh in that some of the cards are definitely more influenced towards american culture and it, some it absolutely not. does i think that the, and that's the strength of it right is, is is it points towards a different kind of cartooning oh yeah and it certainly has less of the otaku feel to it but it's i mean it is the it is effectively the same game with right. a different skin it'd be like getting a different version of trivial pursuit or a different version of apples to apples or code names something like that it's the same game different skin and and it works very well for that so i don't know if there are any other kinds of cartooning that they could do i mean they could do like little mini kits is like hey here's you know war cartoons or uh, you know political cartoons or or whatever it is and pick smaller sets that you add in but mm. I, I don't even think any of that's necessary. It feels very complete right now where it is. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it is a great drawing prompt game. It uh, definitely, uh, this is, I think, something great for a de- at least a warm-up um, if you're really good at art. And if you're not, it's just a great way to do it. And you may wonder why Chris and I are both gushing over this game <laughs> as well, because I got my undergrad for illustration and graphic design. And Chris, what, what did you get your degree in? Um, I have graphic design and uh, digital marketing. Okay. All right. So you're half there, right? <laughs> yes. uh, but, you know, he, he does art as well. So Absolutely. That was part of it. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> you know, but, and, of course, he's a big anime and manga fan. You know. Absolutely. So all right. we, love, we love all the things. <laughs> so check it out. That's Cartooner. And, uh, you know, Mangaka was the original one, which probably you'll have a better time finding if you search for Cartooner and then look at other games using the same system. (laughs) Oh, so speaking of games that we've already played versions of before, one of the games that was sent to us was the Kingdom Hearts Talisman set. Yes. Now, Talisman was, the original Talisman was one of the first board games I ever got when I was in high school that wasn't like a chess or pente or something like that. And I had the one that had the black and white cards on one side with you know the color on the back and the puzzle piece board because this was you know the original version of Talisman. And mm-hmm. then I had the other version which was the colorized versions of the same cards with the folding board and then I got the next edition and then the next edition and the only edition of Talisman I don't have is the is the one that came before this, before the Kingdom Hearts one. So, um, what is Talisman? Talisman is a game where you are adventuring around a land, and the land is broken up into what are considered levels of difficulty, and or or whatnot. And you are trying to get from the outer ring to the middle ring, uh, crossing through an intermediate ring, and in the inner ring, you are trying to defeat the big bad or overcome serious significant challenges and either get the crown of command or in this case, you had different, uh, different bad guy thing at the very center of the board. Oh, yes. And this one was all Kingdom Hearts themes. And uh, Chris, what is Kingdom Hearts? Uh, Kingdom Hearts is a uh, RPG, a uh, Disney RPG, actually, that came out, oh, goodness. Uh, a long time ago, back in PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era. Right, um, 10 or more years ago. Um, long enough that uh, this game was hardcore nostalgia for me. I love the Kingdom Hearts series. Um, 
it uh it's disney japanese uh, it's disney final fantasy that's what it is that's what i was waiting on you to say right there took me a second but i got there um it's got a plot line that's almost as complicated as final fantasies um and disney uh, they somehow convinced disney to give them basically everything Right. And so the whole premise of Kingdom Hearts is that you're traveling through the different realms of Disney continuity and you're getting keys to do things. What are the keyblades for? Because you've got these swords that have keys on the end. Chris. Okay, now you're getting into complicatedness. Uh, the keyblades are your main weapon. There you go. Uh, and they're used to seal the darkness. That's the super easy version of what they did. Right. <laughs> and so in this game, you were traveling once again around the Outer Ring, which are different places in Disneyland. No, not Disneyland. In, in the lands of Disney. Yes, and the Disney worlds. Once again, the worlds of Disney, because <laughs> Disney World is closed. Oh, that's so sad. It's like, it's like the darkness has come across. Anyway, a different topic. Um, but you're fighting monsters, getting treasure, building up your strength so that you're good enough to level up effectively and go in and beat the thing. And we did learn one thing, that Disney loves their Mickey Mouse and that Mickey Mouse is probably overpowered. Oh, yes. Um, it's kind of... So, like I said, for me, this was nostalgia a lot. Um, and I think people in my age, you're going to find a lot of that because at the time, uh, Kingdom Hearts was the game to have. It was the game to play. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have someone who is older than that generation or younger than that generation and that nostalgia is not there, um, the game kind of becomes more technical than more fun. Um, I played the first but, Kingdom Hearts, Chris. I, I when it was brand new, I played it. I don't want to hear this. Not like I did. Not I like me. Gave up because <laughs> I was too busy grinding for monies to have fun. Yes, but um, yeah, the uh, characters they did for this game—they're um, as powerful as the characters were in the video game, and mm. the characters were not on equal footing. Not a little bit. Not even slightly. Um, it is to the point where there are certain um, cards. I think one we saw was if you're not one of these characters, lose a turn. Fortunately, none of us were those characters, yes. so we all didn't lose a turn, or all lost a turn, rather. Yeah, I think we all yeah. lost a turn simultaneously. But I mean, it is super biased towards certain characters, uh, which could help you in that if you have people who are less familiar, um, they get some stronger characters. But, uh, yeah, if you give someone who knows what they're doing a strong character, it's a, it's a game shot. I got to cast all the spells. Oh, yeah. All of them. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was neat. Because, Dis- uh, you know, <clears throat> Disney loves their Mickey, and Mickey was the Sorcerer's Apprentice, so I always got to have a spell. Yeah. So, even if I cast a spell, I get to do more. So, for those of you who are familiar with Talisman, it is Talisman, um, but it is not a balanced version of the game. That's all right, because Talisman was not a balanced version of the game. (laughs) And if you're familiar with it, you know this. So for me, it is a yellow bordering on red light. It's not a game that I'm excited to play, but it's a game that I am willing to be talked into play. Now, that said, that's a personal judgment. Mm -hmm. I also think that Talisman, if you're looking for an adventure style of game and you have kids who are willing to sit down and play a, a longer game, and by longer game, I mean one that lasts more than 45 minutes, um, Talisman, or specifically Kingdom Hearts Talisman, is a great one to have in your collection. And also, I think it'd be great for like college libraries as well, because, like I said, Chris is of the, uh, or like Chris said, actually, he's <laughs> of the era of 
hey, I've played it and I've played the sequel and uh, I love the characters and the people and all that stuff that I think that that was when I played most of my talisman was when I was in college. I would I would sneak into the honors dorm and shake a talisman box and <laughs> all of the honors dorms folks kids would come down and we'd play like 15 player talisman games, which oh, was the worst boy. way, by the way, to play talisman. That Yeah, that sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. But we would play, we'd play, uh, sometimes we played the deathmatch version, which is when you died, you were out of the game, um, <laughs> and you could attack the other players, or we'd play uh, with fewer players, but, uh, well, I'd, anyway. So, many ways to play Talisman, and the Kingdom Hearts version is one of them. If you're nostalgic for the thing, or if you like Disney, and you want to do the connection between Disney and video games, and that's one of the reasons why we got this, why they sent it to us, is because at ShushCon this year, we were doing the, hey, here's video game-related games. Kingdom Hearts fits right in that niche right there. Absolutely. So. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Um, I think the last game on our list that we have both actually played, uh, and we may have talked about it on our previous game, is the Artemis Project. Yes, uh, that is... Yep. I don't know who sent us that. Oh, that's okay. So the Artemis Project we actually paid for. Um, oh. And uh, that was from the Grand Gamers Guild, who uh, I have to mention that uh, on Board Games, uh, one of the other podcasts here uh, on the Inverse Genius Network uh, was sponsored by the Grand Gamers Guild. That said, we paid for our own copy here at the library, and uh, this, this particular podcast received no benefit at all from, yeah. from that association. Now, the Artemis Project is a worker placement game that has a variety of kinds of workers, and, um, well, go ahead, Chris. Uh, do you want to describe it? or? Uh, sure. I mean, I'd really, that the game is the different types of workers. Um, you're, I mean, you're trying to get the most victory points, of course, trying to do either the most expeditions or build the best buildings or get your engine to do the specific thing based on certain victory condition cards or victory point challenges and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, but the twist in this game is that uh, the workers, there are different workers, and you don't always know what you're going to get. You randomly pull workers that uh, arrive at uh, this location, and everyone's kind of fighting over specific types of workers. Like, everyone's fighting over either they want their soldiers for their expeditions, or they need those engineers to help build or run the buildings, or they need the builders to build the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've turned the workers into an extra division of resource um, that makes certain workers more valuable at certain times. Well, And it's weird because there are a variety of economies in the game or a variety of um, resources that you're expending. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the basics of the game are you have dice, you roll dice, everybody's going to take turns placing their dice on the board, um, and the dice are going to, uh, the bigger the number, the higher potential payoff, but the lower the number, the earlier you get to do whatever those various actions are. Um, and so it might be, hey, I'm going to collect energy, I'm going to collect metal, I'm going to get people, I'm going to train people, or whatever. Um, and that it's possible that if you put a six on the board and I put three ones on the board, that I have gotten more than half of the resources and that there aren't six left for you to get. So if you wasted a big number for that particular thing. 
All right. Absolutely. So that's one kind of resources that your one currency that you're using is the dice. Mm-hmm. The other currency is, well, there are coins that are in the game. Another currency is the energy that you're going to have, the metal that you're going to have. And another currency is the actual workers that you're going to get, which might be scientists, soldiers, um, philosopher types or politicians. I can't really remember. Um, and engineers. And they will interact with different buildings at different ways. And some will give you bonuses when you're putting down dice to go on the expeditions and some are, you know, so they all sort of have this different set of uses Mm -hmm. and they're, as you get them, then they're going to make other options more or less appealing as the game goes on. And it is a reasonably complex, uh, you know, currency game based around random randomized workers that come into the game based on a rocket ship or, uh, things that come in, um, based on the dice roll that you have and cards that happen and events that occur each um, after, you know, between each round. Right. So I really enjoyed it, um, which is actually one of the reasons I think that we ended up getting the uh, Grand Gamers Guild as a sponsor for the other <laughs> show is because we talked to it about it. I played it before it was actually produced. Um, and so it's, it's a fun, fun game. And it, uh, it is a lot of fun. Yeah. So take my, uh, take my review you know with a pinch of salt but uh uh i uh i it's a green light for me and i'm glad that we have it here for the library and hopefully it will uh, it'll circulate well absolutely all right so now uh chris and i both have a little bit of information about some games that we might have played on our own or uh, chris actually we had some folks donate us this most excellent the expanse role-playing game and i haven't had a chance to even crack the covers on them yet so chris tell me about the expanse rpg Absolutely. And uh, before I mention that, I will say they sent this to us as part of the Shushcon stuff. Mm. Um, so one of the copies we were going to use for the library. So they did give this to us. We didn't buy it. Right. And in fact, Dome Crushers was given to me. Um, Horizons Daily Magic was given to us. Silver <coughs> Coin was given to Shushcon. Um, and uh, yeah, so there we go. So Yep. Um, so it is, uh, if you are familiar with the Expanse TV show, Mm-hmm. Um, it is that, uh, the characters are in the game. The same factions are in there. Um, your characters can come from any of the factions. The stories or I guess the small campaign that we got with it is based around being part of one of those factions. Um, or that I believe the stories shift slightly depending on which one you're in, but, um, right. Your perspective matters a lot in the expanse. So I imagine it matters in the game too. Yes. Um, so they, it is very much based off of the books and the TV show. Uh, this, I believe, is more geared towards the TV show based on the character's design um, more than anything. You, it, uh, it tries to blend the standard RPG system, like your character is important, with the space combat as, um, aspect of the game. And it does do some interesting things, such as uh, your character's wealth uh, matters for what kind of resources your crew can have. Um, you during the one thing I do like they do during your downtimes, um, you can choose because uh, space travel in the Expanse takes time. It takes um, at least a couple days, if not longer, uh, to get from you know Mars to Earth and to the asteroid belt. And during those off times, the between the sessions parts, 
um, you actually get to decide what you're going to do to advance your character. Are they going to train? Are you going to go to your faction and try to up your standing? Are you going to try to make your money situation a little better? Right. Um, so you, your character development happens between the games, which I think is kind of a neat system. So the downtime has its value. Hmm. And I would actually also say that it's probably based off of the books because they don't mention the television series where I'm looking, but the books and the TV series are awfully close, so it could be either. Um, I mean, I, I do notice there's no pictures of anybody on the TV shows on the covers. Of the that books. is true, but the ship designs are very much TV show based. And so, but I think that uh, James A. Corey and uh, or the two people who are James A. Corey, the <laughs> author of The Expanse, um, they had a lot of feedback. So who knows? I, I don't imagine that like some series that there's considered to be a whole as much difference. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this is from Green Ronin Publishing, who sent that to us. Absolutely. And uh, we are big fans of their. Well, I'm big fans of theirs. I don't know if mm. Chris has had too much to do with them before this. Not so much. This is part of their age um, system. One of their age systems of games. So if you played any of their other age games, then you will be able to jump right into this pretty darn quick. Absolutely. Um, um, one thing I will say, um, I can't quite tell um, based on what I've read through it so far and looked at the stories and such. Um, this game, I will say, on the surface appears to tote the line of being almost too complex in certain aspects, trying to force certain elements in. But at the same time, they added in some elements for RPGs that I think are just brilliant. Um, I would definitely need to get a campaign in before I could give you a side on that. So, Which brings us to what I'm going to do now is I'm going to say, hey, Chris. <laughs> What's that? You should run this for us online during the, you know, during the lockdown. And maybe we could even get a listener or two to play with us. Absolutely. I think that would be a lot of fun to do. All right. So uh, in the uh, Facebook group or, uh, you know, send us an email, look for the links in the show notes. Uh, you know, let us know if you'd be interested in doing an online one of the introductory scenarios that they sent with the game. I'm not going to make Chris run an entire campaign <laughs> of it, uh, but I'd love to get in a scenario or two. Uh, you know, as long as Chris is interested in running it, absolutely. And, and we, we I'll, can do this on the clock. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I'll point it out the the RPG does or the book the um, guest guidebook. Yep, uh, comes with everything you need to play for both players and GMs, all the character sheets, all the design stuff. And I believe it comes with at least one starting scenario uh, for you to run through. Right, okay. So looking on the site, there's currently a sale. I don't know how long it will last. Uh, we get nothing from it. This is not a paid promotion. <laughs> they did send us the books so that we could give them away at the con and add them to the library. So think about that. All right, so I've got some stuff. Oh, well, there's a couple things we should mention real quick. We are currently playing Charterstone. Absolutely. Uh, Charterstone is a worker placement game. It is a legacy game. Um, I don't think it's necessarily good for schools or libraries, uh, unless you are not a, adverse to purchasing the refill packs. And we will, when we get done, we'll let you know if Charterstone is one of those games where you have a completed copy that is good for anybody to play at the end of the campaign, then it will be wonderful to have in your school or library. But if it's, hey, you get to the end of the campaign and it's all done, then you probably don't want to get it. Absolutely. I mean, it would be good for maybe a club that has four, five, or six people to run through, but uh, currently replayability is not there. Right. Now, but like I said, at the end of the game, 
it looks like we will have a beautiful board at which you could continue to run and play a game on. With Maybe. even some decisions that you make at the beginning of each session because we've had extra tiles come in that you can keep and that kind of stuff. So hmm. maybe it will be great. I'm going to say probably not. Yeah. Um, another thing that we've been playing that I'm not supposed to talk about yet, but since nobody listens to this podcast but teachers are librarians, is if you <laughs> like escape rooms, we have been playing the Emerald Flame, a demo copy of it, which we're not really allowed to tell you anything about um, except for so far the puzzles are tough meaty and interesting and uh it also looks like they you'll have to use a refill pack to do it or possibly if you play through escape room games the way i do with sleeve protectors and dry erase markers maybe you can get away with uh reusing the innards so far as far as we can tell you could do it at least with the first piece uh we haven't actually destroyed anything so far if i had to guess one of the puzzles we haven't answered yet needs to be folded Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> maybe. So uh, the one thing we can say, um, when Donald says tough puzzles, um, they, I mean, the first, I don't know, four to six puzzles, we're still trying to figure that one out. Um, it's like three hours worth of figuring out. Okay. It, we yeah. were depleted of brain power when we started. Um we are under our stress of isolating ourselves from any... Okay, so as everything, circumstance matters. Yes, but I mean, the game itself does tote each section as a two to three hour session of puzzle solving. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they are tough. Right. Now I've got a couple of games to talk about that Chris has not heard about or played. Actually, he's probably heard about all of them. <laughs> Um, I'm going to talk about Wingspan real quick. And uh, Wingspan is one of the games that's been super popular over the past year or so that um, it uh, blew up on social media, it blew up everywhere, and Elizabeth Hargrave designed it. And it's about bird watching and birding. And it is wonderful for a variety of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's a theme that isn't overpresent in games, so that is nice to have something else to point at. It is also somewhat educational. If you uh, look at the cards, it tells you like how big the, the, they are and also kind of gives you an idea of what the birds will eat or how they nest in the different kinds of nests, and that's delightful. Um, and, but the problem is, is that you then get to deep into uh, you know, your own worker placement, your, your action selection, really. It's not worker placement because you're not competing with other people, but you've got this board where um, you are going to say, hey, do I want to you know, pull a new bird from the, the top thing, or do I want to uh, do eggs, or do I want to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I have found it through my one play that, first of all, the box insert and everything as it goes together is amazing. The art is beautiful. Uh, once you have played one round of the game, you know exactly what you're doing. It all makes sense, and it all sort of comes together. And it is a good game. Um, it's one that you should be, if you want to put it in your collection, it is wonderful because it will sort of show that, hey, not all of our games are about exploiting the environment or, you know, they're not the 4Xs that we talked about before <laughs> uh, and that it's pretty neat. I, it's also a game I would be happy to play again. It's not a game that I want to own myself. It's not a game I will say, you know what I really want to play is Wingspan. Um, but I think it is marvelous that this game in particular, so well made as it is, uh, it does feel like it was all sort of designed on a spreadsheet. 
um, with a richly person who's you know very dedicated in love with the theme uh, all put together it just it doesn't ever have for me that sort of wow moment this the oh I'm really excited by what I'm doing uh, but then again I guess bird watching is not necessarily that kind of activity anyway unless you find that oh this is the bird I wanted to find and see today because now I can take it and I can put it on my platform or on my column and and I will always get to fill it with eggs or I will always be able to meet my secret goal of having so many birds of under so many wingspans or eating particular kinds of food and um yeah, that's it, really. Um, I liked it. Chris, do you have any questions about Wingspan? Not, I mean, again, I don't know much about these games, so. So, all right. Um, yes, if you are at all interested in it, and the, either the theme or the mechanisms appeal to you at all, then you can rest assured that you are having a very solid, wonderfully designed game, and, and I would say go all in. Um, on second thought, I do have a question. Mm. Is it good for schools or libraries? Well, like, like I said, it's, um, you know, I guess if you're doing a biology or a diversity of biomes thing, then maybe say, look, here's birds and here's a bunch of stuff about them. It would work well for that. Uh, if you, or if your library is particularly well known for the birding around it, like for example, we have, uh, both, you know, the Brooklyn Gardens and the Huntington Beach State Park near here, where there's mm-hmm. a lot of bird watchers go and try not to get eaten by alligators. <laughs> uh, that uh, that you know it'd be sort of something that would appeal here. Also, it's gonna look good in your collection, and and I hate to I hate to ever say that uh, <laughs> when you're talking about things. It's like, oh, what books should you have? Well, you should have the classics in your book collection because um, it's gonna look good. And I think that Wingspan is gonna be one of those games that is going to be a classic for a long time, both because it does what it does very well. It's beautiful, and like I said, it's an off-brand theme um, that that you can get to it. Someone who is not a gamer and is not interested in becoming a heavy gamer, they're never going to fall in love with this game. <laughs> if they are kind of interested in games and have played games, you know, of our type before, sort of hobbyist games, then I think that it's not going to be a hard sell to say, oh, here's this cool thing and it all works so well together that, uh, that they'll be able to get into it. So, yeah, that's Wingspan. Um, another one I definitely want to talk about is Parks, which I don't know if I mentioned that before to you, but basically in Parks, you um, are going through multiple times on this board where the cards are the board dealt out, and each one of the cards has specific actions that you can perform, and while you're going through the park, you might be using your canteen to do specific use specific elements to do a thing, or you might be taking pictures, or uh, you might be getting souvenirs. I don't you know, never mind. I can't. I can't talk about Parks. Uh, Parks was a a nice game that people were really excited about because the graphic design was amazing, um, and people seemed to really like the game. And I completely disconnected from it. Was that because of the game, or just because you weren't feeling it? I just. I was like, yeah, okay, it's a game. Not mm-hmm. you know. You know, kind of a generic game. <laughs> um, but they loved it. The people I was playing with loved it. Um, at the end, you're going to have, you know, stacks of points or things that you, yeah, I just, hmm. it's just not in my brain anymore. I, I played it. I said, okay, I've done that. And I thought, I've got to review this for the podcast. And listeners, I'm really sorry. I, so, I just don't care. Here's the real question of it. The people you were playing with, were they avid gamers or were they kind of newer gamers? They were gamer gamers, all of them. And they loved it and they paid extra money to get the copy that they had. They had sought it out. Other people who were playing with it had sought out their own copies, and they all liked it. And 
I think if you're at all supporting of, hey, national parks or state parks or any kind of parks, and uh, you're looking for a you know, mid to light weight game, I would say it's a midweight game, maybe on the lighter end of that, um, with a variable board, because you're gonna play in the cards in different positions, so you don't always know which of the different park locations you'll be going to in what order before you start. Then I mean, it's it's got that, it, it really, it felt to me sort of like a paint by numbers game um, which was a shame because, oh, the production value on this was if you like the art style at all looking at it, you're going to go, this is a really nice game. Um, but uh, I just, maybe I've played too many games. <laughs> I mean, because between this and Wingspan, I feel bad about not saying these are not my favorite games that I played in the last while. But, you know, one of my favorite games that I played recently was Zaya Legends of the Drift. Um, and uh, it... Uh, it's not a good game. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I'm sorry. It's, it's a good game, but it's not a great game. It feels like it's a very. That felt like it was a really old game. Lots of randomness and you know very flat curves and you feel like oh Zaya would be great if it was designed with a modern aesthetic. I mean, super great. But I had so much fun playing that horrible space game compared to this. That you know I don't know what to say. All I'm saying is when you've played as many games as Donald, where it's probably at least four digits, I mean, it is at least four digits. Oh, easily. Um, could be higher. Um, then, uh, you're, you know, your top 50 um, are some real good games. So, Oh, at least they are, they're very particular to my, to my likes, right? Um, there are, that's probably, I mean, at some point, be a good topic for the show is there are games that some folks who I consider to have Reasonable taste in games that like that I just absolutely hate. Sentinels of the Multiverse <laughs> is is a game about you know battling superheroes, and I find it tedious and off putting, right? Mm-hmm. But I know it's a well designed game because three or four of my friends have gone all in on all the sets on all the cards, and have said this is a great game. And I'm like, if I have to sit through another game of Sentinels Multiverse, I'm going to flip the table. This is not going to happen. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I mean, when you start to learn what you like or why you like it, you can begin to pick out, like, oh, this game is not going to be for me. Um, and I would have put, like I said, both Wingspan and Parks in the, hey, I'm going to enjoy this. And, you know, I kind of did, but I also kind of don't care. <laughs> so um, so there's one game I really want to talk about that I think would be great for schools and libraries. Um, and it's particularly, I think, suitable for this day and age. And it's called Wavelength. So in Wavelength, it's a party game, and it has beautiful production value. Once again, um, it's, uh, it's amazing. So in Wavelength, there's, it's two teams, and say my team is going to have two roles on it at one point. So you're going to have the person, and you're going to have the rest of the team. And it might be, um, the clue might be like hot and cold, or good and bad, something like that. And then it might be, well, what are we talking about? I have to give the clues. So say Chris is on my team, and it might be um, a good movie, bad movie. And then I have to name a movie, and he's going to have to guess where on this scale I'm trying to get him to pick. Because the big mechanism is this spinner thing where you'll spin it, or you'll rotate it, rotate it, rotate it, and then it's going to have a series of steps on it. A lot of it's going to be blank white. means no points awarded. And then there's going to be, you're kind of close, you're really close, you've got the answer to either side of what I'm trying to get the answer. So 
if I said, Chris, um, on a scale of from good to bad, and so think like the upper half of a horizon, right? Right. You're seeing the sun halfway above the horizon. So you got that half circle poking up. From good to bad with uh, bad being on the left-hand side and good being on the right-hand side. And this is an example that, um, that, that we actually played through in the thing. And I said the name of a movie. Tell me where you would pick on this. And I'll, I'll use the movie that I should have used and not the one that I did use. <laughs> and I will say... Um, Temple of Doom. Ooh. All right. That was probably the worst one you could have thrown at me. Um, Which was exactly the response that everybody had to the movie I did say, <laughs> and everybody there was about your age. I'm going to throw it at a cool 75%. 75%. Okay. All right. So because it wasn't great and bad, and it was only good and bad, um, no. All right. So it was basically, <laughs> imagine it's a scale of 1 to 10. With five being straight up, my would have put it at about a four. All right, that's exactly where the where the line was. And so I was trying to pick a movie that was right at that, you know, 40, 40 to forty five percent across. All right. Oh, um, well, then he's got about the similar opinion I do of those kind of movies. And so that's that is for that. All right. And so in er- <laughs> but he's picked it. So Chris has picked where he thought I picked. And then the other team is going to vote. Was Chris high? Or was he low? Or actually, they're going to think, is, is the real answer higher or lower than where Chris it is? Because there's a little lay- lever. Basically, let me physically explain the game again. There's the spinner. On the spinner, I will, or a, a rotating dial. The top half of the dial is visible to me. It's going to show this narrow range. I will then close the shield. I will give my clue. I will turn it back to Chris. Chris is going to turn a little lever that shows where he thinks the um, the right answer is, right? If he falls anywhere in that from marginal to very close to exactly the right answer, our team's going to get points, all right? The other team is going to say, was Chris high or low? Or, I mean, do they think that the right answer is higher or lower? And they're going to vote. And if they're correct, they're going to get points. Um, and then I slide the slider back and reveal where Chris's line was on that. And this, I think, why I think this is such a neat game is because you are trying to look at things from other people's point of view. I'm trying to give a clue that matches Chris's age, his interests, his et cetera, et cetera. Like, I couldn't say, uh, you know, movie, good or bad, and I don't know, say Dr. Shivago because there's no way he would know that, all right? Uh, and, you know, there's also some of them are like big or small, hot, cold, and there's hundreds of these little cards that have the ver- the, the deal, and then um, I think that there's a also a deck of cards or something that says what it is that they're trying to do, like movies or, you know, food or that kind of nonsense. Um, and so I think that it's just a beautiful game for that. Now, I found it moderately entertaining but the production is so good people who have not played just a metric ton of of party games are going to find this really engaging it's going to stir up conversation and i think it's seriously green light it's one that we are probably going to buy a copy of for here at the library just for our game days so that we can get you know kids all participating on two teams where they're talking to their teammates you've got a lot of engagement there Um, it hits on a lot of levels 
that that I think will be very exciting. And I also expect it's going to circulate well because it's going to be a great one for birthday parties and that kind of stuff. So that is, what was it called? It was called Wavelength. Wavelength. And by golly, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I recommend it. Um, for me, it's not probably my favorite party game, but I think it does a whole lot that is uh, would be very useful for people to be better at these days. Does that sound interesting to you, Chris, having had I mean, it explained? So, yeah, hearing it, I think, so as a game that, say, for my private group of people I play games with, maybe not my number one pick, but especially for somewhere like the library or with friends just as a fun game to play, um, yeah. I mean, that actually does sound like a really well-designed game uh, from what I can hear about it. Well, I could also see it being useful for school, right? Oh, yeah. Um, no, be- that sounds like an excellent uh, classroom game. Because you could change the topics, <laughs> right? Um, you could also change, you know, it, you could use make a whole history set of cards for it and still use the mechanism. Um, I think that it would work very well, right? And oh, yeah. So uh, it's it's versatile and well within its thing. And I was thinking about it so much, I was like, ooh, we could 3D print a couple of these little cardboard pieces that they were using, <laughs> and it would be much cooler if we did. I was like, oh, but it's already so nice, and what I wanted to do wouldn't fit in the box, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, look at Wavelength, and yeah, let me know what you think, because I'm pretty excited about uh, getting a copy here for the library beyond even my excitement of playing it. So, oh, we've talked for, wow, nearly an hour. I think we're done. All right, that's... Sounds good to me. All right. So, listeners, thank you for listening to us for this long, if you got to this point. Uh, Once again, check us out over on Facebook or send us an email if you want to get in on Chris's Expanse game or or whatnot. Yeah, that's it. I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Chris Bell. And you've been listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. Goodbye. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilop, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.